Do you realize how boring being on the Star Trek Enterprise would really be? Why do you come here with that? To be quarantined on a ship for God knows how long. You know what I'm saying? We'd have to go to the holodeck all the time. And let's be honest, the holodeck was probably, it was mostly for porn, I'd imagine. You know, I do this thing every day called, uh, what's it called? Um, what's new in the neighborhood? What's new in the neighborhood? <laughs> and so I, half the time I actually say, hi, I'm Don Griffin and welcome to my racist friend. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh. Welcome to, <laughs> to what's new in the neighborhood. I'm Don Griffin. Welcome to what's new in the neighborhood. <laughs> Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees, and I'm here with Don Griffin. And we're taking you on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster today. We are. <laughs> so brace yourself. Enjoy. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. Enjoy. <laughs> Remember, I'm ADD, so. I can look at you, but I also need like all kinds of stimulation. Yeah, you and me both. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll do better then. I think that's why the show goes in all the places. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We can. Have, that's why our conversation is a never-ending conversation because we both can do that. I hadn't thought of that. That is awesome. <laughs> so, how has your week been? I don't know. Uh, my dad had just told me that he took my mom into the hospital because she was having pain on one side of her body. And so that kind of bugged me, mm-hmm. you know, so I was kind of scared That is for scary. my mom. Yeah. You know, Don Johnson, who is a friend of mine, uh, who uh, is John Hamilton's wife, she has the, the virus, the COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. So that was a little shocking. But then her, her mother passed by herself, not necessarily, but not by herself, because I guess they were able to say goodbye to her on the phone. But uh, her mother died of co- the COVID-19 at, se- I think, 79 years old. That was close to home because I, I, I know her mom. And then my mom being in the hospital, that's not a good look. I'm worried about him picking her up quickly, you know, because that's yeah. not the place. You don't want to be in the hospital right now. No, Mm-mm. you know, this does, or it will touch everyone. No, How about no. your week? How you been? How you guys been? Um, it's interesting because at some point this week, I was thinking and talking like we had really done a pretty good job of flattening the curve and the big bad thing didn't really come somehow. I mean, I knew, I knew some people who had family members with it, but uh, as far as I knew, they were doing okay. Like at the beginning of all this, it felt to me like, uh, so we started 
sort of stupidly heading for our spring break as though we were actually going to go. And we made the really long drive, got there, spent the night, left the next morning. And then when we got home, I went to Aldi's to get like all stocked up on stuff. And at that trip to Aldi, I felt like, like every thing I touched, I was so careful. Like I would stare at the, at the shelf, like poised to touch something for the longest time. And then quickly like reach out, touch it and put it in my cart. And if I touched the wrong thing, I just brought it with me anyway. Oh my because God. I did not want to spread any germs. And also I didn't want to pick any up. And I noticed earlier this week, I was getting sort of like, oh, it's probably not that bad. Like, I, I don't think lots of people have it. I think just a few have it. We've done a good job of containing it. But then I was talking about this to one of my older kids who said, what are those numbers you're talking about? And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no, like, this is still bad. <laughs> Indiana hasn't even, we haven't peaked yet. Yeah. Everyone's behind New York and the bigger cities, but it will, even the areas that they're saying, oh, it hasn't touched. Wyoming's just fine. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes for you. At the beginning, there were all these stories about how Alabama was going to outpace California, literally, like not per capita, but have more cases because California was acting so quickly and Alabama was still having like barbecues and stuff. Okay. And they're going up, like they're steadily increasing they're nowhere near California's. And so then I think, does that mean it didn't happen? Or does no, that it doesn't. mean it's going to happen? And we have that long to wait. It, it's going to be, a, their curve is going to be longer. The, the, the amount of people, people per square foot is, is a lot less mm-hmm. uh, than a California or a New York. I mean, look at te- Texas is kind of coming on with it too. I mean, if it's a race. It's not a race you want to win, but I mean, <laughs> it's not over, unfortunately. Yeah. It's sad. Business, religion, politicians, they're the ones that want to say it's all over and let's get back to work. That worries me a lot because the idea that we would actually have a political divide over whether or not to keep people safe from dying blows my mind. And even the news has started to quote numbers for divorce, domestic violence, as well as suicide. Yeah. Why now? These numbers have always been high, but right now that's, it's going to be the narrative. Look how many more people we can save. It's a, it's a, it's a trade-off. It's a balance. It's not a balance. You know, we could have more funding in times like this for domestic violence shelters and those would be essential and time is i don't know if you're experiencing this but in this house it feels like time is moving so slowly like the days go fast but like the weeks go long and like this morning my oldest was talking to me about kombucha that she's trying to grow and my reaction was to be like it's been in there for like three weeks is it not growing yet both of us thought that it had been there for like three weeks. It's been there for five days. Oh my God. Yeah, that's why I was wondering how you were doing. See, I'm still out and about. I get to go see daylight every once in a while. But I will say these days that have been so rainy and dark and no sun mm-hmm. have been, ugh. you know, the first week when they said stay at home, 
remember how sunny it was? It was sunny. So you're outside and you're like, oh, this, I can do this. Like if this is the rest, if this is how it's going to be, I'm okay. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, but uh, my God, a, a week of this, of cold weather and really being cooped up, you know, really having to, all of a sudden, your stay in place really is your house. Mm-hmm. It is a living hell. It feels to me like a lot of the people I know are like the very beginning was very stressful and very scary. And then we sort of settled into it and we were like, okay, okay. All right. I found some toilet paper. We're going to be okay. <laughs> and then that wave of like feeling a little better lasted a little bit and then in the last week or so it has gotten hard again like the reality like that we don't really know when we'll stop doing this and that you can't find a news article that says dear amy covid19 will be under control enough for some semblance of life to return on july 1st and i think that's what lots of people want is certainty like something to hang on to in this yeah you know what we've just described though what we described the life of anyone that has a chemical imbalance oh yeah that is either bipolar or has depression the way you talk about the ups and downs and not knowing when it's going to end not knowing when that low part is going to end and you're just sitting there waiting for the sun to come out And so folks that do not experience that and they're experiencing what, what's happening now, they need to remember this. You know, they need to remember that there are people that live, that this is their existence for life. Yeah. That's a really good point. And and in fact, with people with severe depression, a lot of times, one of the things that happens is, when they're feeling well, it's hard to feel that way because they can see it coming. Like, mm-hmm. but they don't, re- not, not with certainty, not like you're going to get depressed July 1st, but um, I'm doing okay now. I've, I've had this pattern before though, where I was doing okay and then things got really hard. Mm-hmm. And how, how do I know that in two weeks, it's not going to be really hard. Yeah, when you're you're feeling good, you cram. Get as much done as you can. You get as much done as you can. You have this energy and this youth for life that you just, you don't know when it's going to end. So you want to get as much done as possible. And hell, sometimes that might last, <laughs> those sunny days might last for two years, but you're always in, in that frame of thought. People are really suffering right now it's likely we're all going to have these days like where everything seems awful we're going to have days where it doesn't feel as awful or where we feel hopeful i think we have to be pretty deliberate about cultivating that hope how do you balance it though how do you balance the the fact to cultivate the hope but also understand even though we want them to go back to where they were we're feeling this right now. We're feeling the same way that folks that love the farmer's market felt. And they want, even though the farmer's market was not perfect, it's what they long for, the old farmer's market. With the white supremacists. 
Yeah, or they would like it to go back to when they didn't know that. Yeah, they want to correct was... ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And I... that's the same thing we want to do with our country. Right. And I, I'm worried about the narrative of this at the end. I would like the narrative to be, this was a giant wake-up call. Right. To say, we need universal health care. We need housing as a basic right. We mm-hmm. need to not leave people behind. I was reading this story in the New Yorker this morning about a woman who felt called at, right after college to go to Uganda because she like heard there were hungry children there. I mean, I, I realize I'm oversimplifying this in a ridiculous way, but she got there and it turns out that the children were so malnourished that they actually needed like feeding tubes and getting rehydrated the right timing, but they needed hospital care. And after a little bit of being there, the hospitals started sending people to her. But even as she's talking about what she wants to do, part of that narrative is I want to make sure I'm not giving them anything. I also ask their families to help in the garden. So that way there's no like free lunch. And she's, she's not saying this in like a greedy, I want my garden worked on way. She's saying this in a basic human goodness requires you to work in order to be cared for. And while I think most of us feel better when we work, I definitely feel better when I work. But the idea that you can't give something to someone without making sure that they learn a valuable lesson from it, or you can't get food from here if you've committed a felony, or you can't participate in this unless you pass a drug test. Boy, I'm, I'm kind of a hardliner on that. What? In some respects. Uh, uh, sexual abusers, I'm really, I really have a hard time with, or child predators, I have a hard time with giving them food or, or lodging, well, you, you know? you wandering the street, do you? I know I'd rather them be in jail for life, to be honest with you. I mean, I know that's hard, but, you know, I, I just don't have a stomach for that. And maybe it's because I am a survivor of sexual abuse. Maybe that, that's why that, that bugs me. Whatever gets done has to be mindful of keeping people safe. I'm certainly not promoting a world where we're like, oh, he sexually abused those children, but he meant well. Hmm. Yeah. So, so we'll just let him go. You know, and here we talk about this every, all the time. Can people be saved, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? That's what we talk about. Can bad people change to being good people? Can, can, can they be saved? I don't know if I'm that Christian, though. There's cer- certain things that I just, uh, I, I struggle with that I don't really, uh, boy, I don't necessarily want to give them a chance to change. I think I would rather hate them. Someone murdering someone, someone and I'm sure there's different circumstances where I would say, ah, maybe, maybe, you know, and I, you know, if you talk to my dad, I'm sure he saved people being a minister. He's had them say that they've changed their ways, but I don't know, man, the conservative part of me, I can't forgive certain things. Hurting children. I can't, I cannot, I, I, I can't, I, I just, I can't. When I, when I think about forgiveness, and actually, someday we could have Marianne Macklin back on the 
That would be, we probably need a minister for this. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. I feel like one of the topics I've learned the most about from her is forgiveness. And the one thing that she says, like usually sort of toward the beginning of her forgiveness sermons is that there's no room for, I should forgive. You should forgive that, that you, you have to get there on your own and you may not get there Hmm. and that's okay like you go at your pace and you take care of yourself i don't think you even have to have forgiveness as a goal when you want forgiveness that sort of casts your choices as either vengeance or forgiveness this is what i can do i can either seek vengeance or i can forgive And I think there's another way to look at it, as in prevention. I can work to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And the way that I do that is I take a good, honest look at what causes this. And then I try to address those causes. No, I I see. I mean, we discussed this, that I have this comic book belief system. (laughs) You know, it's the best way to put it that that uh, that bad things happen to good people and bad people. Mm-hmm. And what separates the hero from the villain is what they do with what has happened to them. You know, so the idea that, hey, I got molested and therefore I'm going to hurt women or hurt children because of what I've gone through doesn't fly for me because there are other people where that happens that when that happens to them they say okay i'm never gonna i'm gonna make sure i'm gonna try to prevent that for the rest of my life i'm gonna make sure that that never happens to anyone else yeah and so that's the difference between that the victim and the and like i said there that's a very simplistic you know maybe i need that to get me through the day it's probably a lot more complicated. You're, you're the, <laughs> that's kind of your field. The, the hand is more <laughs> your field, you know, uh, I should just, uh, uh, just sell real estate, you know. I don't want to, I don't want this to, this part of the conversation to end with the idea that I'm telling you that you should forgive or that. Uh, no, 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 I don't think so. But I actually, I think you're right. I'm just, I'm just not sure I can ever get there. That's all I'm saying. I think forgiveness is a good, like, that's, I would like to be that person one day. Mm-hmm. But then again, Amy, I don't think all of us can be that person. No. Uh-uh. Right. I think it takes some people to be, though, there, there's got to be people out there that are willing to beat the shit out of people <laughs> so that everybody else can forgive. When things get back to the place where we can have people in a room together, I would love it if you reached out to BTCC, which is an organization here in town. Do you know about them? No. What's it stand for? Building a Thriving and Compassionate Community. Okay. And they are an amazing group. I went to one of their trainings early on. Basically, you have a issue that is your pri- your primary issue. Like It could be a school dropout rate or obesity rate or crime rate or homelessness, like whatever community measurement 
you want to take. And then <laughs> what you learn from it is that a lot of disparate things that we sort of attack individually, like say childhood obesity rate and dropout mm -hmm. rate or crime rate, when you go deep enough that these have the same root and, and a solution that's together. So like the one in my first one that I always remember is there were a whole bunch of us with issues. The one factor that in the research could help with all of them is sidewalks. What? Okay, this sounds interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're trying to find the, there's a root that there's a root or solution that can fix more than one problem. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. That that there's things that we need as basic building blocks of our community that can help it help us reduce all of these things that we don't want to have around. Dude, I like that. They do um, childhood summits every year and that are pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, I um, do like that. And that actually is similar to the thing that got me trying to talk on Facebook a little bit today, which was, it was a really nice graphic. Okay. And there's a circle, a big circle. Okay. And there's a little circle above it and says anger in it. And the point is that anger could be related to or like covering for and then it shows all of these other things. And one of them is fear. And that's something that we tell parents a lot is that when you're feeling really angry, if you can take a breath and, and sort of calm down your nervous system and ask yourself, what am I scared of right now? Then you can also access usually a more compassionate reaction to your child if you're hmm. you know, feeling super angry. And that, I think that's almost always true in parenting, that when you're angry at your kids, it's usually because you're scared of something. You're scared that they're going to grow up to be a bum, or you're scared that they're going to get hurt, or that they're going to hurt someone, or, you know, like, some parents do, like, they can extrapolate way into the future, hmm. you know, like, he didn't eat his prunes this morning, and now I just know that he's going to get constipated, and then, like, I don't know, but they yeah. can take it all the way to college, like, what that means for their college career, but it's fear. Anger is fear in disguise is the line that we talk. But this had more to it. It was like disgust, abandonment, hmm. outrage at injustice was one of them. And like a variety of things that anger is communicating. And so if you just assume that because someone is angry, or if you assume that because you feel angry, that it's just anger, then you're probably wrong. And in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, when you can get down to the underneath of the anger, you can find something to be compassionate about. Fear is a common like root cause of anger. Not all anger, because this is what that pie chart sort of opened me up to is this idea that there could be other things, not just fear, because I've always sort of just said, no, it's fear all the time. And I still think you could sort of apply fear to most of these things like abandonment is because you're, you're afraid of being alone, outrage, political injustice, you're afraid it's never going to change. But I did like like sort of the broadening of that category. Someone had commented that narcissism, greed, and I started thinking about that and where I would put them on that chart. And at first I was like, right, those are just other parts of the thing that fear is covering for. But the thing that is different about those is that they were all negative traits. And the other things in the circle were all neutral traits. Like you didn't, you couldn't really assign a value to 
like a morality value to someone feeling abandoned. Right? I see what you're saying. Yeah. You do assign a morality value to someone being narcissistic or to someone being greedy. Without concentrating on the image, I think you described it pretty well. I think there are people, are you looking at me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking too long of a pause. <laughs> no, you just leaned back. And so I leaned forward. <laughs> I don't know. That looking at prevention, then <laughs> that's what we're doing with COVID. Like we're trying to prevent. We're trying, but it's driving us crazy too. We have to remember how blessed we are. I mean, we actually have a place to, to hang out. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't, or there are a lot of people that are still, that are still working crazy hours. Yeah. And then we also have to think about the people who are sick. All right. We're talking, we're, we're worried about the people who have lost jobs mm -hmm. or, but then what about the, and, and their financial burden or not being able to work, which is, I mean, man, could you imagine being home and not, and having kids and not having enough money to feed them? Do you know how much kids eat? I mean, you do, you know, I know, I only have one. Um, yeah. But what about the people who are in the hospital with this, with, with this and the bills that they're going to have afterwards? And whether or not they still have a job and that whether or not, I mean, this is, we're, we're just at the beginning of, of, of the heartache for this thing. The, the latest form of really common racism is uh, no surprise that it's police arresting people, people of color with masks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, like I said, my wife was like for the longest, I was like, let's get some bandanas. We're going to go to Rural King and get some bandana. She's like, I'm not wearing a bandana. <laughs> like, why not? We've got to do this. She's like, a black, do you realize who we are? Did you forget? And then she kind of said, and if you don't know me and my wife, we both, we, we had, our color is different. Our coloring is different. I'm very yellow, I guess you would call me, or very yeah. light complected. And, 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 and she's, she's of dark, she's of, a beautiful cocoa dark uh, skin. Her skin's beautiful. Um, we kind of are treated differently, especially when we're not together. We we can be treated differently. I didn't understand that. I just thought, hey, we're both black. People treat us the same. I, I that's what I always thought, and actually, that's not true. There are differences in the way society treats someone that's my complexion and the way they treat someone that is her complexion you know because i you know I, in my mind i'm wesley snipes you know i'm very you know uh, you know in my mind i'm a chocolate brother i mean i'm just like <laughs> you know i'm very you know but my voice and uh <laughs> i sound like i'm from southern indiana no i mean in my mind i think i'm very you know I'm very proud to be African-American. It's sad that that happens. Yeah, it makes it harder for you, for people of color to be safe and go out. It does. I wanted to put a mask on today. I was at the uh, 
I was at a place and I finally got a mask. You're going to love me for this. Oh, it's off now. Never mind. I've got a mask. <laughs> um, it's off because I'm in my house, but I've been, I, I've actually been wearing one. And, uh, but yeah, I was in that store and I, I, yeah, I just, I just kind of felt weird about putting one on. The one, one of the stories I read this week was of a doctor in Miami. Oh yeah. Did you see that one? Yep. He was loading up his truck and to bring supplies yeah. for homeless people. Yeah. Handcuffed. Handcuffed and could feel the spit on his face from the officer yelling at him. Yeah. Who wasn't the officer wasn't masked, wasn't wearing gloves, wasn't obviously wasn't keeping social distance. And it, it's not just, you know, it was resolved quickly, but it's not just that. That's like potentially a death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And they make up excuses. I remember getting handcuffed. I was handcuffed and put on the hood of my car. And you know what I had done? It was past dusk and I forgot to turn on my lights. That's why he pulled me over. And then unhandcuffed me and gave me a warning. Had me on the hood of the car. My own car, handcuffed. That's awful. Yeah, God. Yeah. He, he saw how calm the dude was. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. He was, he like, was calm. He was calm because it's something as an African-American male, you it's something that we talked to Dexter about, my 18-year-old son, that it will, it, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen and how to act in a manner where you're not going to get killed. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I was probably 22, 23 at the time. Had my little junky sunbird convertible. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that one. And then you saw the guy, uh, they, the, the security guard followed the dude out that made him leave Walmart. Did you see that one? I read about it. I didn't actually see the video. Yeah, he, they, he was video. He was videotaping the guy. And he and then there was another one where, uh, you know, people are trying to just be safe. And and I think he even showed he even he pulled down the mask to show, hey, you know what? I've you've seen me before. I've been here. I am a normal customer. I am someone that comes here every other day. Uh -huh. So he showed the guy, hey, this is me. Put it back on. Oh, he was tased. He wasn't sprayed. He was tased. Ugh. And just makes you mad, doesn't it? Yeah. I want to find someplace uplifting <laughs> to go. I think I said something earlier uh, on the show about my friend in Japan uh, who's sick, really bad sick um, yeah. with cancer and how sad I was that he, he was determined to come to the United States to get his treatment and how, you know, that was never going to happen uh, with COVID happening. And, uh, and that made me sad. And then I've been following, you know, how I am like liking to look at the numbers and I've been following the numbers from Japan and they've been so slow to move. Like they've just been, Japan's been pretty low and steady, manageable. Cause I wanted him to at least be able to get, you know, whatever good treatment he could get there. This morning, 
NPR ran a story about it just exploding in Tokyo. You know, it talked about people driving to 40 hospitals before they could get in. Oh my gosh. That was my one little thing that I was sort of returning to in times of stress was that, look, Japan's got it all figured out and um, they don't. I'm sorry. I wonder if there's something to this pause button that the quarantine is offering us, you know, like we, we have to stop right where we are. We don't get to, you know, like add on that thing we wanted to add on to the house or go get that education you wanted. I don't know. We can't like put off looking at where we are because we're stuck here. I wonder if that is adding like this element of things I didn't do because my, my feeling with my friend in Japan is that with all three of my kids at one point or another, we discussed trying to send them to Tokyo to, you know, to see it with someone who really lived there and would love to see my kids, you know, you know, it's super expensive and, I kept thinking someday we'd, I don't know, be stable enough to save enough to send a kid to Japan. And that that's off the table now. And I wonder if that's happening to other people, like things that they, that they always thought they'd do. And now they have to stop and look around at like the choices, at the choices they've made and at the steps that they took in their life that, brought them to this place right here, right now. I imagine it could be like, did you want to build more friendships with a certain circle of people that you thought was interesting or join a gym, <laughs> which you can't do now? I think it's a, it's a reset of priorities. Stop taking things for granted understand that you are blessed yeah just on a daily basis just the freedom that you have to go and play on the monkey bars (laughs) (laughs) which you can't do right now you can't play on the monkey bars right now and stop taking yourself so seriously yeah that's the other thing. We got to stop taking ourselves so seriously. Like we talked before, I got to not worry about if my house is not perfect. You know, our old, our, our parents, our, if you still have grandparents, people that you could not see, spending more time with them is important. Yeah. Friendships that you've taken for granted People that you really like. We talked about that last week. People that you like. And you just assume that they're always going to be there. That there's always going to be time for you to get to know them. It's not not the case. I think this has opened floodgates and shining light on the uh, incrementalism. And really the only word that's coming to mind is half-assed approach that the democratic party has been taken for years of thinking that that we're doing things 
to create safety for our citizens. And we're not like, unless they have healthcare, we're not creating safety. And for me, this has made it feel more important to be sort of loud about what people need and ask for it like enough so that other people feel like they can ask for it. And then it becomes more of a normal thing. Like the things that I think we all really want universal healthcare. I think most people do to some point. And if they've been fed some stuff about how they're going to lose the good insurance, I don't know. But I don't think there are very many people who think it would be okay for people to be dying with no way to get medical help. But saying that enough so that Democrats wouldn't have to say, well, you want that and I want that, but we have to take it a little bit at a time. And that's what has led to this crisis. A little bit at a time didn't get us far enough. You know, I'm a car person, so I can use the analogy of, well, you'd have to be a car person to understand what I was saying, though. <laughs> like, like. Try me. If I understand it, it'll help. Okay. Okay. So General Motors, uh-huh. uh, they owned Buick and they owned Oldsmobile, uh-huh. right? Pretty much the same damn cars. Uh, 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 and Pontiac, if you're familiar with Pontiac. Yes. Pontiac was a little sporty and Buick is a little bit more luxurious, not quite Cadillac, but luxurious. I was thinking uh, re- Buick is what old, pe- old men drive. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Pontiac is for younger. They were kind of younger, more sporty, right? Yeah. But underneath, they were the same damn cars, made in the same factories, just same underneath, same. Everything about it was really the same. It just had different marketing and the headlights were different. The taillights were different. Pretty much the same damn car. Huh. Same engine, same, like everything, same, everything, right? I didn't know that. All the same damn cars, just different styles, targeted to different types of people, but the same damn thing. That's what the system that we have right now, that's what, that's the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. It's how it's targeted, how it's now, now I take that back. Like right now, Trump is on his own mission. Let's be honest. I mean that whatever's going on there, but before it was just selling the same damn thing. And the system doesn't work. This car that we're, that we're riding in that we own just doesn't work. Whether or not it's a Buick or a Cadillac, it just doesn't fucking work. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, we need a completely new system. The only way that model works is if if the progressives still keep going. If someone gives them another four years after that and another four years after that and another, that doesn't happen. We do, do three steps forward and then somebody else takes power and then it's, it comes on back. And it just keeps doing that and keeps doing that. But unfortunately, the Republicans are so damn good at changing the playing field that each time they get it, they do things, whether it's voter suppression, whether it's gerrymandering, they do other things to actually take it back further than, than the progress that we made before. So progressive doesn't work. We need the health care and we need 
wealth distribution. We need, we need all this shit. I'm sorry, but we do. Yep. I think God, so. what happened to me? What, what just happened? <laughs> I think that people are looking, I mean, I think you sort of had that in you all along, but this is, I think it's making people look at stuff and be like, wow, we really need to push harder on this. And we need to push harder. I need to make sure that I connect with the people that I want to connect with while they're here. Yeah, you want that. You you want people to to enjoy what the, their life, but you also need them to be. Come on, let's. We got to change this for everybody. I'm happy that everything is back to to in order, but I'm not. I'm not happy. I, I think the cultivating hope is really important. If you fall too much into the anger and cynicism, that is something that I fall into you want to give up you guys give me hope (laughs) (laughs) you give me hope like i feel better that yeah we got to have this conversation i am too the sun's gonna be out tomorrow if you if you look at the uh, next seven days it's gonna be absolutely beautiful it's gonna be between 60 and 70 degrees yep the sun's gonna be out we can be back on our porches I can ride my bike to your house and yell at you. Yeah, do that. That'd out the cool. window or whatever. <laughs> right? So things are things are, are looking up. It's going to be okay. Maybe we can get other people to do this, to do what we're doing. To sit down and talk. Yeah, I think now more than ever, it's clear that acknowledging and experiencing that connection is how we get through this and how we repair afterward as well. And the only, you're right. The only way we're going to be able to get through this is if we connect and fight together, fight the wrong together. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you guys. That was, that was good work. That was good work. Yeah. You were about to say it was fun. And then you're like, eh, <laughs> I don't know that it was fun. No, it is. You know, it is fun. It, it is, it is, um, you know, it is, it is, um, you know, it's work though, isn't it? It is work. Yeah. But I do love it and I do feel better after we've done it. Yeah, me too. I actually know it's helping other people. Um, okay. I think that's why we do it. Someone always tells me that they appreciate what we're doing. That makes me happy. Yeah. That they would like to do the same thing. This is offering a real sense of connection during this time, I think. Because we need more and more. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go outside and get some sun. Bye. Bye. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKeese, LCSW, took place at separate locations in Bloomington, Indiana, on Saturday, April 18, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. You're right. I heard on the radio today that... Um... COVID-19 can be spread by farts. What? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a joke. That's, that's got to be a joke. If, well, no one says, can, can, you know, the question is like, can COVID-19 be spread by farts? And someone says, depends. <laughs>